Welcome to the Bridge to God's Word podcast with Carla Unseth, a linguistic consultant for missionaries working in Bible translation. We invite you to visit us at www.bridgetogodsword.org to learn more about Carla's ministry. Now, here's linguistic consultant Carla Unseth. and welcome to Building a Bridge to God's Word. If you've been following along with us, over the past several podcasts, we've been talking about the history of the English Bible, or how we got the Bible that we have today. So we had gotten up to the point of the Reformation, and then last time we actually took a little break and looked at the formation of the canon. In other words, how did the specific books of the Bible that we have today get chosen? But today we're going to go back to the Reformation period and just after the Reformation. And actually today we are going to talk all the way up until one of the most influential translations on our modern English Bible, and that is the King James Version. So to anyone who's ever wondered if the King James Version is really the only accurate translation, this podcast is for you. But before we start, I want to give you a little orientation as to where we are in history. So again, previously we were looking at the Reformation, and that was a period in history where there were different men who began to see problems in the Catholic Church, the kind of universal church of the time, and they began to protest certain abuses in the church and to ask for reform. So it became the Protestant Reformation. Unfortunately, the church ultimately rejected their reforms, and as a result, there was a new church that kind of began, the Protestant church. Even though it was underground, it wasn't officially recognized. But now we had two churches in Europe, the official Catholic church and this underground sort of Protestant church. And these two churches had different views on the Bible as well. The Catholic Church believed that the Bible should only be in Latin. Well, one of the main ideas of the Protestant Reformers was that the Bible should be available to all people, so it should be translated into the languages that people understand. So in our podcast on the Reformation, we ended talking about the 1530s. That was when William Tyndale and Miles Coverdale were translating the Bible into English. And William Tyndale was actually searched down by the English authorities and burned at the stake in 1536. But at the same time, there's some political upheaval going on between King Henry in England and the Pope of the Catholic Church. King Henry wanted a divorce from his wife, Catherine of Aragon, because she had only borne him a daughter and he wanted a son as an heir to the throne. So he wanted to be able to divorce her and to marry someone else. So in 1534, that's two years before Tyndale was burned at the stake, he passed the Act of Succession, followed by the Act of Supremacy, and those two things split England from the Catholic Church. So now, all of a sudden, we have three churches in Europe. We have this underground Protestant church, we have the main official Catholic church, and then all of a sudden, England has its own church also, the Anglican church. That is where we are going to start today. So what we said in 1536, William Tyndale was burned at the stake, and at that time, he famously said, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And it was just three years later, in 1539, that King Henry decided to spite the Catholic Church by actually commissioning a translation of the Bible into English. 
Miles Coverdale, who had worked with William Tyndale, was hired to edit this work. So he used Tyndale's translation, and the books that Tyndale hadn't been able to translate, Coverdale himself translated. This Bible was huge. That's kind of what it's known for. And by huge, I mean like physical size. It was 14 inches tall. And so it was called the Great Bible. Every parish in England received a copy of the Great Bible. And it was so popular with the people that it actually had to be chained to the pulpit so that it wouldn't be stolen. So people now had access to the Bible in their own language every Sunday but they weren't yet able to have their own personal copy. Unfortunately, this step forward for the Protestant church was short-lived. King Henry was succeeded by his son, King Edward, and King Edward only lived a very short time, and then he was succeeded by his half-sister, and this was King Henry's first child, Mary. Queen Mary wanted to return England to the Catholic Church, so during her reign, Protestants underwent great persecution. In fact, nearly 300 Protestants were killed, and this earned Mary the nickname, which you've probably heard, Bloody Mary. So during this time, because of this intense persecution, many Protestants fled to Geneva, Switzerland. And while there, a new translation was published in 1560, which was called the Geneva Bible. This Bible was revolutionary in Bible translation for several reasons. First, it was based on the original Greek and Hebrew. This had been done before, but not in every translation. And if we just look at the Great Bible for an example, we have Tyndale, who spoke Greek and Hebrew, so his translations were based on the original languages, but the part that Miles Coverdale supplemented were not based on Greek and Hebrew because Coverdale didn't speak the original languages. So the Great Bible itself was was based on Greek and Hebrew in parts, but not all the way through. So here now we have the Geneva Bible that was based all the way through on the Greek and Hebrew. Secondly, the Geneva Bible had a team of scholars rather than just one man. Up until this point, it had really just been one person doing the Bible themselves because they wanted it. Um, and thought it was important, but now there was actually enough people that they could have a team, a team of scholars. So a third thing that made this Bible really unique was that it had extensive study notes to help the reader understand the text. So it's often considered one of the first study Bibles. And this Bible was greatly loved. The people, the Protestants in Switzerland loved it, used it, um, and it was popular for many years. And in fact, it is the Geneva Bible that Shakespeare quotes from. Now, if we look back at the political stage, um, we have Queen Mary on the throne, but when Queen Mary died, Queen Elizabeth came to the throne in England, and she wanted to return England to the Anglican Church and to establish a middle way between the Anglican Church and the Protestants, which would take away the persecution of Protestants and allow the churches to work together. So part of this for her was recognizing the benefits of having an English Bible. So the Geneva Bible, of course, was available, but the study notes in the Geneva Bible pointed out many errors in the church. So Queen Elizabeth didn't really want that to be the official Bible of the Anglican Church. So instead, she commissioned a new Bible which was published in 1568, and this was called the Bishop's Bible, and it was basically a revision of the Great Bible from earlier. So now we have two main Bibles that have been translated into English, the Geneva Bible translated by the Protestant Church, 
and the Bishop's Bible, translated by the Anglican Church. But what about our third church here, the Catholic Church? Well, at this point, the Catholic Church began to realize that it was really fighting a losing battle in trying to keep the Bible in Latin. So the Pope decided to commission their own Bible, and it was based solely on the Latin Vulgate. The New Testament was published in 1582 in the city of Reims, and the Old Testament was published in 1609 in the city of Douay. So this is called the Douay-Reims Bible, and you can actually find the Douay-Reims Bible, or at least a revision of it, today. You can still read from it. So now, all three groups have an official Bible, but translation did not end there. So in 1609, the Anglican Church decided to revise the Bishop's Bible. But it wasn't really a revision. It was a brand new translation. This translation was done by a team of scholars. They did in-depth research of biblical meaning. They considered current translations. And they also based their new translation on the Greek and Hebrew. The result was a very well-done translation of the Bible. And you guessed it, this was the King James Version, which was published in 1611. So finally we get to the King James Version, and it is indeed a very well done translation. And at the time it was called the Translation to End All Translations. And in a sense, it did end all English translation for a while. The English-speaking church used the King James Bible pretty much exclusively until the late 1800s. However, it did continue to be revised through that time period, and the most famous revision was done in 1769, and this 1769 version is actually what we have today. A lot of King James Bibles say 1611, but it's actually not possible to find a 1611 version unless you buy like a facsimile of the pages from that time period. Even the Bibles that say 1611 are really based on this 1769 revision. So that means that with the King James Bible, we end the second period of translation and move into the third period. So next time on the next podcast, we'll talk about the modern era of translation and look at some of the modern English translations that we have and why they can be so different from each other and still be accurate translations. But before we move on, I do want to say a few things about the King James Version, since I know there are people who think the King James Version is the only valid translation of the Bible. So in today's podcast, we looked at the history of the King James Version and saw that it was a very well done translation. It was translated from the original texts. It was done by a team of scholars. But we also saw in today's podcast that even in that day, there were other translations that were equally well done, especially the Geneva Bible. So we really don't want to limit ourselves to just one translation of the Bible. And next time, we are going to look more at these modern translations of the Bible. And we are going to look at the study and the work that has been put into making them accurate as well. And utilizing the study and the resources that have come up in the past 400 years. We have 400 more years of scholarship and manuscript discovery since the King James Bible was, was written. So the King James Bible is an excellent Bible. I would never say not to read it because it's so well done. And the language is very elegant. I know a lot of people love the, the sound of the language. But again, don't limit yourself to King James Version only because as we'll see next time, these modern translations were done with excellent scholarship as well. And they can really aid in our study of the Bible. 
So we'll talk more about what makes a modern translation accurate in the next podcast. So I really hope that you'll join us then as well to hear more about it. So thanks again for joining me, and I hope you'll join us again next time on Building a Bridge to God's Word.